0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Elizabeth Barnett-Lawton, and I'll be interviewing some of the industry's most inspiring talent for the British Beauty Council's Career Insights podcast series. Looking back on the last two decades of my own career as a magazine journalist and a university lecturer, it was having the opportunity to interview thought leaders, celebrities and entrepreneurs that has been one of the greatest highlights. I'm just as fascinated today in speaking to the great minds and personalities behind industry figures as I was reading about them as a student. Hearing someone's story, a shared experience from someone who's made it in their chosen field, can provide much needed inspiration for anyone seeking a path to a fulfilling career. This is why the British Beauty Council are providing special access into the careers of inspirational beauty industry leaders exclusively for our members. So whether you're a student or perhaps you're thinking of a career change, we think our Career Insights podcast series featuring some of the UK's best talent could be the vital boost to your dreams and motivation. For me, and I hope for you too, the podcast series is a fascinating insight into the lives of some of Britain's biggest beauty success stories. Welcome to the show. Marianne Newman is undoubtedly the UK's leading nail expert. Prior to her career in the nail profession, Marion was a forensic scientist in the Metropolitan Police. After having children, she sought a new career and a fascination with nail care and the lack of knowledge available on the subject inspired her to pursue a career in the nail industry. Marion opened her first nail salon in 1987 and she's now the European brand ambassador for the professional nail brand CND. She's also designed nails for numerous fashion shows including Alexander McQueen, Givenchy, Maison Margiela and Vivienne Westwood to name but a few. Marion has written three editions of her textbook, The Complete Nail Technician, which is a Bible for any bodding nail technician. From 3D sushi nails for a Fred Butler presentation to doing Lady Gaga's nails, Marion is constantly searching for new inspiration and unusual materials with her forensic eye. If she's not shooting with Nick Knight for Vogue or presenting on QVC, you'll likely find Marion sketching or seeking out unique materials for her next piece de resistance. Marian is a pioneer in her field, but also a fascinating example of a complete career about turn, and one which has proven to be very successful. Hello, Marian.
1: Hello, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh,
0: thanks so much for, for um, speaking to me today. And I know that you're one of the, the world's leading manicurists. If not, if you, you're the first name that springs to mind when I think who's the leading manicurist in, in the UK. Um, and I also know that you had a first career that is completely different to your current career and you were a forensic scientist and then you retrained to be a manicurist. And how did that come about?
1: Oh, well, my my head is in science. It was always in science when I was at school. You know, I got chucked out of what was then called domestic science but basically cooking Um, and so I got chucked out of all the sort of the more arty side of things because I just didn't concentrate very much on them because what I loved to do was the chemistry, the physics, the biology, maths, I even loved maths actually Um, so yeah my head has always been in science so um yeah I mean my my first career at when I left school yeah was with the metropolitan police forensic science laboratory which is it's now privatized but you know back then it was sort of run by the home office and it was for the metropolitan police so yeah I did that until I had my first baby and I absolutely loved it I really did you know I I wasn't there I, in the great scheme of things I was there for a minute but at the time it felt like a lot of years so I did and and sort of I was although I was only ever an assistant but I did sort of climb up the scale of assistance so yeah I worked on some of the sort of big crimes of the time actually which was the late 60s early 70s which is a very long time ago um, when you know your grandmothers were <laughs> that's the, the era of your grandmothers because that's my era um, and I absolutely loved it I really did you know it was it was I wouldn't say exciting, but it was fascinating and it fascinated me and I loved it. But then I had a baby and um, so then I, I stopped work for a while because back then that's what you did. Uh, it You know, you, you didn't really get maternity leave and you could go back after a while. It just wasn't an option, really. So. Uh, I didn't and then in between because there's a bit of a gap between my first and second um, in between I did another thing which was and the two things come together actually I did this other thing which was actually behavioral therapy Um, and I did quite a few courses that the the company I was working for sent me on which was behavioral therapy um, and NLP neuro linguistic programming and so Then I had another baby quite a long time later um, and then another. So I've got three children. And then after that, when the youngest was ready for play school, I thought, oh, it's time to do something. I'm going to upset people by saying this. But this is what I thought at the time. Let's do something a bit fluffy. (laughs) Um, Little did I know that it wasn't fluffy at all. Um, But that was the point. That was the um, I sort of discovered this professional nail industry, which was minute absolutely minute then I think there were probably half a dozen like nails only salons around the UK and um, so it was minute then but the two things actually came together my science head which is always there it is still there that's the biggest part of my brain whichever side it is that's that's the biggest part um, and then doing behavioral therapy sort of led me into the teaching thing as well so um, yeah I discovered this professional nail industry that for me brought up more questions than answers and basically that is what has kept me in it all of this time.
0: But if we go back in time because I mean forgive my ignorance but when I think about a forensic scientist I'm thinking of all the sort of things I've seen on TV where you're dealing with pathologists and you know murders and crimes and I have this vision of you looking for the
1: evidence under people's
0: fingernails.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did do that. Well, I wasn't a pathologist. I did do some work with pathologists. Um, but yeah, I did used to get fingernail scrapings um, <laughs> that I had to look at under a microscope. Um, and when I sort of got like further ahead in the whole thing and was doing like the more high profile murders, because basically. That's what you do when you, you know, the, the, the most high profile are the murders or the arsons, for example, and also abortions, horribly enough. Um, and, and drugs, you know, lots of drug crimes as well. Um, Yeah, I did. Although, as I said, I wasn't a pathologist. I did go to a a post-mortem and I did on several occasions. I did have body parts on my lab bench and somewhere, I don't know where, but somewhere there is a picture of me in a nice white lab coat with a leg on (laughs) a whole woman's leg on (laughs) on my lab bench that um, I had to work on. And I was working on that for, would you believe, a tool mark? Because um, this poor lady had been murdered, obviously, and her leg had been sawn off, so I had to look for um, to try and match a tool mark on the end of the femur, the you know the big bone and the thigh. Mm. Um, and so I was delivered the whole leg when I only wanted like this much of the bone at the end I I mean this isn't a laughing matter it's a very serious matter but Mm. you know when Mm. when you look back on it and think oh good grief did I really do that well yes I did and and there was another time when I had a head it didn't have too much on it but it did have bits of skin and it did have bits of hair and it had you know bits around it, if you like, Um, and what I had to do with that was I had to create a model of the jaws, um, because they needed to do dental identification. And whatever the powers that be decided, they'd rather have an actual model of it. So I had to take a model of the upper and lower jaw and paint it, you know, paint pink gums, paint white teeth, paint fillings. Um, So yeah, I did have a, a, a head on my bench at one point. So, um, yeah, that is exactly what forensic science is all about. I won't mention, I won't go into too much detail, the hours and hours and hours and hours spent looking down a, a binocular microscope to match things up. That was the biggest part of the job. But, you know, there were, there were some pretty interesting highlights amongst it, which I look back and think, oh, did I really do that? Was that really me? But yes, it was. You must have quite a high threshold for ick. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not very squeamish. There are some things I'm squeamish about, but no, I'm not actually very squeamish at all. And I do. I, I mean, you know, this is where the science comes in, because, you know, yes, it is quite gruesome and, it, and, it, and it's quite shocking and it's really sad as well. But, you know, when you've got a science head, you just want to know more. You know you want to find out what and why and how and, and find the answers and and this is the thing is finding the answers and again this is what has kept me in the nail industry for so long is mm. finding the answers basically so um mm. yeah i'm not squeamish it's just fascinating
0: to me that you initially thought that uh, having had a baby that you're going to get then go on and do something that at the time you thought would be fluffy and a nice thing to do and no more legs or heads. I, I or... had three babies by then. <laughs> yeah, three. I
1: had three. three. I, didn't, I didn't do the fluffy stuff um, until I had three. Right.
0: So then you thought it was going to be fluffy. Then you discover actually that there's a lot more to it. And and somehow, I mean, it seems to me that you've developed uh, the skills of having written training manuals that you've Sort of pioneered a way into recording the educational manuals and the methods of application for nails that, in a way, wasn't there before. Is that right?
1: It's, no, exactly. Well, no, uh, no, it wasn't no, not really because I my first textbook was published in two thousand and one, um, which is twenty years ago, which is horrifying. But no, I mean, this is this is what actually you know. I, I did think it was fluffy, but then it drew me in because as I said earlier, it, it, it asked, more questions came than answers, because in those days, this was the 80s, this was the mid to late 80s, and it was such a a new industry. And most of the products and most of the learning was coming from America, but in America, they have licensing and, and in order to work in any of the beauty industries, which they call cosmetology, you had to go to college and you had to do, depending on the state, you had to do a certain number of hours with cosmetology in order to get your license. So in in America, they did have an amount of learning to do with nails. But then the brands came about, and there were there weren't that many at the time, but you know, there were some, some big ones, you know, like OPI, for example, one of the big ones, like Orly, one of the big ones, C and D. Um, they were around then. So they then started to infiltrate Europe. And so In the UK, what happened was, is we got the the, the brand education available, but that was almost like postgraduate because in the States you've done your cosmetology degree Um, And then you got the brand training. Well, we didn't have that here. All we got was the brand training and the brand training was teaching you about a brand. It wasn't teaching you about all the underpinning knowledge all the understanding that you needed. And so, you know, when I started to get involved learning about the whole nail industry, Um, All that was available was postgraduate education and it didn't give you the grounding. And so that's why I think it raised more questions than it answered. And that is what drew me in because I wanted the answers. I wanted to know why and how and why do you do that and why do you mix that and why does that happen? Um, And so, yeah, that's what drew me in. And I never in a million years planned that to happen. Um, It just did. And then all these years later, I'm still there, still asking those questions.
0: So you, you've become an educator, you know, a leading educator in nails. But what you're sort of describing to me sounds like you sort of had to find the, quest- the answers to your questions and in a way self-educate and then educate others. Or, or were, was there some degree of going back to retrain initially?
1: Um, yes to everything, actually. Yes, I mean, I think probably one of the turning points is that I discovered uh, in the very early 90s, maybe maybe even 1990, um, I discovered, maybe even a bit before that actually, I discovered an American brand who provided that education and I can't remember how I discovered them, but I did. And that's CND. And at the time they were called Creative Nail Design. And I came across them, I liked their products, and then then decided to take their education. And their education for me at that time stood out because although it was postgraduate for the the American market, they had so much information because they really believed in really educating their customers in, in the real sort of, delving deeply into their products and how they worked and I mean this is this is a long story sort of cut short but I ended up becoming an educator for them in the UK Um, and that led to them the the UK distributor because it was a, a distributor and it still is a distributor here in the UK sending me to the headquarters of Creative Nail Design, as was then, uh, which is in San Diego. And there's still a lot of the offices there. They're owned by Revlon now, but there's still a lot of the offices that are in San Diego. So they sent me to San Diego to do what is called an international boot camp. And it's called a boot camp because, my goodness, do they work you hard. They really, they really do. They take you out of your comfort zone every minute. And it was was probably a week-long boot camp. And, yeah right out of your comfort zone. But there, I met their research, their then research chemist, who is a man called Doug Shune, And he's not with them anymore. He hasn't been for quite some time, but he was a person that actually invented shellac. And we all know what shellac is. You know, Mm -hmm. shellac has become the Hoover. Of um, you know of of UV gel polish, and so so many people call things shellac when it isn't. Shellac is actually a brand name, and Doug Sheen was the person that actually invented it over ten years, way over ten years ago now, and and he is now a global expert in everything to do with nails. Well, I met him there, and uh, that was a, that was a real turning point, really, in that ah oh, here are all my answers. He can answer every question, and you know C and D's education in answered so many questions it's like oh okay that's why you do that um, and also I think you know we need to remember that we might need to learn about the products but we're actually doing uh, um, you know providing a service on part of the human anatomy and you need to understand the human anatomy which was very much part of my thought process because after I left school I went on to college so I did um, human biology and I did zoology so you know that whole anatomy and physiology thing was very much uppermost and it's like yeah but if you put that on there on that nail or on that skin why does it do that so there were my questions answered so that was a big turning point for me actually way back then
0: so he was your first champion in this industry would you say
1: Absolutely. well I, yeah I think over the years I've had a lot of champions too 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 many to mention actually but you know, but because the science thing is more me than anything. um, Yeah, he he answered so many questions. And I mean, I've worked with him all the way through. And actually, myself and him, Doug Shoon, and um, another guy who's Russian, but lives in America, who's a dermatologist and cosmetic chemist, we've just created a pretty unique online learning, which is called Nail Knowledge. And Doug and I are in the process of writing the next course, which is advanced nail chemistry and nail products so you know after all of those years I still work with him and I still defer to his expertise because if I don't understand something I just have to ask him and he'll know the answer so yeah he was a big champion for me he made me realize that the chemistry and the understanding and the science is there you just have to find it
0: and it's so important even from a consumer perspective that people are properly trained and educated because actually if somebody isn't and they they use tools that aren't clean or they do the wrong thing you could get a serious infection maybe even die from having
1: you know a bad manicure experience it's true actually and i've had a conversation with um some people in florida because you know florida is very very humid and and in that sort of level of humidity all sorts of horrible things can happen and you know I don't want to go into details because not everybody is as unscreamish as I am. But yes, it, you, you, there could there be some very, very nasty things that happen. Um, and, you know, it's not just in the professional industry, but in, in the consumer industry as well. Because one of the things I do, I mean, Doug really sort of started it, but I've carried it on, is is we call myth busting. Because some of the marketing stories are spins, that, you know, they're not wrong, but neither are they right. They give a lot of misinformation to people, like, you know, nails need to breathe. No, they don't. Um, And, you know, 7 free, 10 free, 99 free. What does that actually mean? Well, basically, what it means is it's a very clever marketing story where, um, and again, this is going to upset people, but it's a fact. It's, you know, it's trying to make consumer products unique, when actually they're
0: not. A, but it's more the practice of, of if we go into a, into a local nail bar, for example, uh, that is the thing to watch out for, isn't it? People adhering to the guidelines of putting those tools in the alcohol, I don't even know what, what the fluid is, but you know to disinfect the tools properly. Yeah. And things like um, cutting, shaving skin off the feet and things like that. I'm never yeah. quite sure. There are so many nail bars now, what the standards are like and and whether one has to be careful.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very difficult question because this industry isn't regulated. So, you know, this throws up all sorts of problems that nobody can do anything about basically other than like local environmental health departments, the HSE, for example. And, you know, yeah, I deal with a lot of major problems in nail bars. The industry doesn't like them to be called nail bars. And, you know, when we had all the COVID stuff last week and all the various people talking about what was being locked down, they called them nail bars. Well, for some reason, the industry doesn't like it. They they like them to be called nail salons. So um, i refer to nail salons. But actually, nail salons, beauty salons, hair salons, it is a professional career. And we're dealing with members of the public. And hygiene should be absolutely number one And so, you know, anybody that walks into a nail salon and it looks dusty, it looks untidy, there there are nail files in a pot on the desk that are covered with dust. That is not acceptable. It really isn't, you know, we should have an absolute, almost clinical level of hygiene in every nail salon or every home salon or every mobile. We should have the exceptional level of hygiene. And we have had to, you know, in this last year, uh, everybody in the beauty industry has had to deal with specific guidelines, but you know, for the nail sector, which is obviously what I focus on, there is very little that is new. All of those guidelines and all of that teaching has been there from the beginning, almost from the beginning. Not in the 80s when I started, because there was nobody knew anything about anything then. But um, there's not a lot new actually. It's all been there. But, you know, as the industry has evolved, I think people have got a bit lazy, I have to say. I think education isn't as good as it should be. And so standards can drop very easily. And, you know, this last year has made standards lift up. But the only differences in the standards is the PPE is wearing the visor or having a screen. Masks have always been there for, for the nail sector because there's a major problem with dust. Dust has become a focus in the last year because as we found out, the virus can travel on the dust. Um, but nearly everything was always there. But this year has really brought a. I focus. didn't know
0: that, on the, on the nail dust.
1: Yeah, well, dust is, in, in, a, in a nail salon, dust is probably the most hazardous risk because um, even nail dust, but you know, those that do enhancements, that do a lot of buffing, nail services create a vast amount of dust. And that has been one of the most hazardous risks in our job. Now, I knew that back in the early nineties, um, and but now because of the virus, more and more people are realizing, oh, actually, yeah, we do create a lot of dust, don't we? And it's become an even bigger hazard because the virus can travel on dust. So, um, but, it, but none of it is actually new. But I mean, this is one of the really good things that has come out of this year is the focus has come back onto the whole health and safety and risks in the whole of the beauty industry. Mm. And, and that is that is a really good thing. Very little is new. It was all there before.
0: Yeah, so to, to raise standards, hopefully, in, yeah. in all the different sectors yeah. once we come out of COVID. I think that's a really good point. Um, So as you've had this sort of the, this throughout career you've really been focusing on on consumer nails so presumably you still see clients
1: no no I don't clients no um no for the last uh well since um 2001 I can I had a complete not a career change because I'm still doing the same job but 2001 I stopped doing everything else and focused on what's called sessions work And what sessions work means is that, you know, I work in studios, advertising, editorials, films, music videos and fashion shows. So from then I didn't have clients. I did have a few private clients, but I never talk about them um, because they're private for that reason. But I, I even stopped that quite a long time ago. So, no, I don't work in a salon. I don't have private clients anymore. Um, Up until recently, um, I still did that, the whole sessions job, which that's since 01, as I say, full-time 01. I I started it in 97, um, but then I stopped everything else in 01 to focus on it. And actually from 01 to 05, I actually came out of the professional nail industry and focused on more of the media because um, what I felt was happening in the professional nail industry they they're very good we are very good at promoting to ourselves so you know we're very good at showing you know look I can do this I can do this and they promote it in within the industry um whereas I really believed you know if you only promote internally you're not going to grow your client base because your client base comes from the consumer so you need to go tell the consumer what it is you can actually do and so that was a that was a bit of a thing of mine so i didn't do anything within the the professional nail industry for about four years i'm focused on the media and Mm -hmm. and in doing that i met the most incredible people i mean i mean kathy phillips you know who i know you know very well um i met kathy phillips who at the time was the beauty director of british folk um, and I met her and we still have a very, very good relationship. And, you know, I met the sort of old school journalists around that time mm-hmm. and you know, I did interviews with them. I did all sorts of stuff with them. And, and that sort of built a profile for me actually because I was talking to the consumer and I was talking to the consumer to say, you know, look, look what we can do. We're, we're actually, you know, you go to a good nail salon and there's an awful lot we can do. In fact, there's not a lot we can't do. Um, because it, it was very internal. All the product companies were just promoting to the industry. They weren't promoting themselves out to the consumer. And that's where we needed to build the client base, to the consumer. Um, and I think that's changed yeah. a lot now. It still, it still exists, but it changed a lot. So. And then after after a few years, I did my textbook did launch during that time, actually, because I'd been writing that for about two years. Um, and then I thought, oh, I want to go yeah. back to the industry again now. So I did and then got more involved. I still obviously still continue to do the job. Feels like 24-7 when I look back. But um, yeah, so that's what I've done since then. And I haven't done for the last year, almost mm-hmm. the last year. But uh, yeah, that's been my, my day job ever since then and you've
0: gone on actually to to have um you've done more than 50 bow covers oh as well i mean
1: over a hundred probably
0: really yeah
1: yeah uh, you
0: know i over... remember some of your shoots marianne i rem- I remember some of that um, because you say yes the science is so strong with you but for me you're also an artist so it to me it's a marriage of the two things and yeah. some of the shoots that, that you've done, That you did one with um, the hand uh, holding, uh, I think it was the John Galliano diptych candle. and oh, had the, new, the, yeah. the, the type, the, the newspaper, like the font, the, the newspaper type on the nails. And I just thought it was so beautiful and actually genius. No one had ever put
1: newspaper on nails before. Well, it, it was the Galliano Gazette because uh, that's right because the packaging right. john galliano's brand and and he had just done a collaboration with Diptyque i remember it very well it was with anna-marie Soloway, who was the beauty director of vogue at that time who yes. came after kathy phillips um it was with her and it was a beauty shoot but she wanted to feature the collaboration between john galliano and diptyque and so this was the diptyque candle with john galliano's signature scent which was quite amazing it was like russian orthodox church with the candles and the incense it's absolutely beautiful and um the john galliano packaging at the time the tissue paper that's what it, it was. Tissue paper, yes. and the tissue paper was the Galliano Gazette, which was you know funny little stories on the tissue paper, and then a little cartoon of him. and And we tried several different things, and then I was like, "Oh, why don't we put that on there now? That could be quite cool." So, um, yeah, I worked out a way of doing it, and yeah, that was the that was the result. And actually, what you don't see on that is there's um, a little cartoon. Of John Galliano on the Galliano Gazette, and I put that on the thumb. <laughs> um, his his cartoon on the thumb, but it's round the back, so you don't actually see it. But. Um, Sam McKnight, who's who's a good friend of mine and is also a good friend of John Galliano, and I'd worked with John Galliano on umpteen deal campaigns by that time, which mm. some of them are behind me. I've got this I thing see. beautiful this wall behind. <laughs> um so you know, I, I knew him too, and Sam sent him a message to say, Marion's just put a cartoon of you on a thumbnail. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And he thought it was wonderful. He answered back to say, I need to see it. So um yeah, his yeah. cartoon was actually on the thumb, which was round the back of the candle. But yeah, it's just oh that's it's brilliant. Just finding things, you know, it's just finding things around you because what you can do in editorials and you know it it, it doesn't necessarily relate to the salon Um, but it does give you ideas and that was just tissue paper so yeah you know tissue paper you can very easily use on on a nail and it's perfectly safe so yeah oh that's good that you remember that one one with grass you did one with tufts of grass that was um yeah that was another folk shoot wasn't it and it was um yeah yeah it was it was a whole editorial story, but it was focusing on accessories, so it's focusing on jewelry and mm. you know we had all different like you know what what would you wear I think that one with tufts of grass that was um like somebody camping or somebody at like Glastonbury or something and and yeah. I made them look really sort of grungy and muddy and but it was it was associated with the most beautiful jewelry. So yeah, that was another, that was another Vogue shoot. Yeah, that the idea of t-
0: that the textured nails, you'd never normally think to do a texture.
1: So that's why it looks so kind of radical. Yeah, very <laughs> I mean, green nails. You can do anything with anything. And this is where the science comes in, if you like, you know, you can do anything with anything. You've just got to work out how. Um, and as I say it doesn't necessarily relate to the salon because you know you don't want tough I, I did I did a, a, um, a fashion sh- a fashion show for Vivian Westwood and on a couple of the models she wanted really really long hair <laughs> and, and there's a picture I came across the other day actually there's a picture of one of the models like with her hands like this and this hair is so, so of course you're never going to go into a salon and have that done and you're not going to have grass on your nails but you know it, it's just like um, a sort of a creativity it's telling a story basically because editorials um and even camp- advertising campaigns definitely fashion shows you're telling a story and the story even on the nails needs to be cohesive and it needs to tell a story and how important are nails on, on a photo shoot oh it varies I mean it if I've, I've probably done more shoots of all descriptions where I've basically done a quick buff. Well, no, it's a little bit more than a buff, but you know, basically that's what it is. It's a natural nail um, because you know it's not making a statement, it's not telling a story. Uh, if it's it's with a designer, the designer doesn't they, they don't want the nails to upstage the clothes, which I totally get. But then you know, I, I've also been lucky enough to worked on shoots where I've gone absolutely mad. I mean, just doing crazy. Well, like you said, putting grass on nails. Um, I've put glass on nails. I've put spy- you know, spiders, like 3D spiders on nails. Um, I put beetle wings on nails and no beetles were harmed in them doing of that. But um, I put beetle <laughs> wings on nails because they're actually quite amazing and they're a beautiful shape. Well, just like, like dead beetles. Yeah, they're beetles. I didn't kill them. They were already dead. <laughs> <laughs> Already dead. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what um, the taxidermist says. In Paris, Gerard. Oh, naturally died, Gerard. Yeah,
1: naturally died. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I found a load of beetle wings in um, an amazing shop in New York. I can't remember what it's called, but it sells all sorts of weird stuff like that. And I found these beetle wings that were in there and thought, oh my goodness, they're beautiful. And I actually used them on a shoot for Italian Vogue first, a long time ago late 90s, early 200s, and then I put them on some models for a Moogla fashion show that Lady Gaga was in. Uh, I put something different on her, but um, you know, I, I think it, it, you know, it is telling the story. So I've done more shoots with nothing than I have with something, um, but when I get to do something, uh, I, that is the most fun. And, and actually a lot of the fun times I've had is doing fabulous stories with Kathy Phillips uh, because China and Japanese mm. Vogue, you know, they're, they're quite happy to take something a bit further than maybe British Vogue would. Um, but then, you know, I've done some mm. interesting stuff for British It's just looking around you. And, you know, if you need to tell a story, then there's always something around you that you can use to tell that story. You just have to work out how to yeah. get it on a nail. <laughs>
0: and you never know whether that hand is going to enter the frame you just sort of it could you know it's like a lottery it might end up in the frame it might not and so you're yeah. just sitting there thinking well it won't it it's like a wow. sort
1: of game of roulette really well it is yeah and you know it doesn't it doesn't always work that the hand is up you know if it's a beauty story if it's a fashion story a fashion tends to be further away so you know that the nails are are, you know they're this big way over there if it's a beauty story it might not be relevant that the hand is up by the face if it's not if if it's not a nail polish story so yeah it's a game of roulette um and you know i learned a long time ago is is not not to be stressed by it if it's there if it's there it's Fabulous, thank you. If it isn't, oh well, it might have been. And the I knew, and I knew the nails look good, even if nobody else does. Yeah. And the photographer, obviously,
0: absolutely. But but you do know that um, the hand is actually so important to expression. I think it's yeah. sort of, you know it's part of of physical being and and I'm, and some of the uh, makeup brands like tom ford for example if you look at the adverts that there's always a hand
1: yes part tom of ford loves his nails he loves them so and and i mean i did do i did do quite a, a few things with him for shows and shoots where, where he was a photographer as well and he loves a nail and I always think whatever a sort of a Tom Ford nail is all I have to do is think of Corinne Rothfeld, because she is first of all she is the epitome of French chic and secondly she is the epitome of what Tom Ford likes so um yeah just think of Karine Rockfeld a and red nail a very dark red or a beautiful chic nude that is French that is really French chic um
0: the classic yeah chic. and yet a red is the hardest to paint isn't it uh
1: black, it can be Yeah, it can be, especially on one particular occasion um, on a shoot where it was a couture shoot and the model was on set in a pure white couture dress. And the stylist, no names mentioned, but the stylist suddenly decided instead of the short nude, he wanted long red. So I was like, "Okay, can I take the model? No, do it on set. So I had to stick on long, long nails and paint them red on set while she was wearing a white couture dress so oh, that's okay. if, if if red nails are difficult to paint you can't get any more difficult than that with everybody standing around tapping their feet
0: so you actually apart from the science and the artistic you all of the skills you actually need to have incredible dexterity to do that surely that's like surgery i suppose it
1: means <laughs> but do you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something that not a lot of people know, actually, that um, <clears throat> from 97 to 01, I was the only time that I was ever employed. I've been self-employed during the whole career, but for four years I was employed because it was a really, really interesting job. Um, it was developing products and it was doing education. You know, My two best things rolled into one. And actually that, that company, we did an exclusive, we, we developed an exclusive brand for QVC. So I spent three years on doing demos on QVC. That was all nail art. So all the nail art that you see now, I mean, it's changed in its styles, and there are some new things. But nearly everything was was around back then. So um, I spent three years dem- demonstrating, you know, maybe up to two hours at a time to a live audience on camera. And I, I don't know what their viewing is like now, but back then it was oh, it was huge. Um, and you know close-up camera to a live audience and I think then that gave me dexterity and certainly the confidence to be able to paint long red nails over a white couture dress um, because I was doing it live on camera for so long Uh, but yeah not a lot of people know that (laughs) What, what would what would be your favorite red rouge noir it is that really, really mm. dark red that, that has got black in it. Yeah, that is my... It, yeah, my, it's really red with
0: that. black, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is red with black. Yeah, Rouge de Mars. So anything that is like that, that or that a real deep burgundy. So for me, I've either got a, a completely natural colour on my nails. Um, and this is, this is the C&D Negligé, which is one of my favourites, which has got a slightly blue tinge. So it makes your nails look really healthy. If I'm not wearing that, I'm wearing a really, really dark red that has got a bit of black in it or a bit of purple. Um, it's the, the old goth in me, I think, that likes that bit. I used to wear SC Wicked, I think, was one of the oh,
0: darkest yeah, Wicked. of the yeah, Burgundies. that's another
1: one. Yeah, all all the brands, every brand, they've all got the version yeah. of Rouge Noir. Um, with c which um, I've, I've got a lot of, it's Fedora, which that's my, Negligé and Fedora are my two favorites from that brand. But yeah, they've all got their own, I can't think what the Revlon one is because that's, I. Anyway, yeah, Revlon red version. Oh, yeah, Revlon red. Yeah, that's a bit too bright for my liking. But Revlon red. Yeah, I think there's a
0: fire engine red as well from Revlon. Revlon.
1: Yeah, Yeah. but they've also got—I can't think what the name is. They've also got that really, really deep, deep, deep red, which is my favourite. I always wear black, so you know,
0: black clothes and dark red nails.
1: Very chic. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah. What would be your advice, Marianne, for anyone that's looking to get into the nail
1: industry? you know, somebody that wants to get into the professional industry, um education. I mean, things have changed over the years and education in some ways has gone has got better, but in a lot of ways it's got worse. And <clears throat> I think there are far, far, far too many very, very short courses available now. And I think a lot of people coming into the industry and you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, when you're a beginner and you come in, you, you do your research and you find some courses and think, oh, that looks good and and because there are so many short courses and you can get them really cheaply as well um and and then so many people think oh i can do that you know that's really good it's not going to cost me much money it's not going to take so much time and and there are a lot of false promises made that you know you do this like five minute course and then you're a professional nail technician fully qualified and you know you can earn money for christmas or whatever then they they do that and then they discover actually they're having massive problems, and they need a lot of help. And either have to retrain, or they have to go onto Facebook to ask for help, for example. Um, so, yeah, somebody coming into the industry is is invest in yourself because this is a career that can be a very nice career, and it's been a very nice career for me, very nice for way over thirty years, and and you know it it, it has good earning potential. But it's not going to have that, that longevity and that earning potential if you don't invest in yourself to begin with. So invest in yourself in time um, with your education and invest in yourself in money. If you're doing a private course, don't take a cheap one off the internet because. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your time and your confidence will get knocked because you'll realize you don't actually know what you need to know. So that would be my best. My best advice is invest in yourself and do the best education in time and depth of knowledge that you can possibly do and carry on learning. It's a learning. It's a lifetime learning situation because things change and they change really quickly. Technology changes really quickly, research changes. So it is a lifetime career that you continue your learning.
0: And something that has lots of the sort of physiology aspect of the nails and the technical aspects of nails rather than just the um, nail technicians are are very different to manicurists, for example, aren't they?
1: well, sort of yeah but you know i um, um, a manicurist if they if they've done a proper qualification <clears throat> which is probably like an mvq or a vrq or you know that is far more in depth it doesn't mean that it's good because all education depends on your teacher because a great teacher can teach anything and it will inspire you but a bad teacher can have the best course and teach you nothing and you're not inspired Mm -hmm. by that person um but yet you know you that this whole thing is we're dealing with people and people is part of the human body that we're dealing with whether it's hands or feet it's the extremities we're dealing with the extremities Mm -hmm. um but it's people and every single person is different you know every single human body is different from the next every single lifestyle is different from the next you know maybe you're a hairdresser maybe you're a mum and you've got babies maybe you're one of these that has to wash their hands 20 times a day maybe you like gardening you know every single person is very different and unless you actually understand uh the human body and the part of the body that you're working on then you're not going to be able to provide your clients with what they need and you're not going to be able to put things right you're not going to be able to solve problems you're not going to be able to troubleshoot you have to understand the whole that that part of the human body which is called the nail unit and it is our extremities and it's our hands and our feet and the skin the skin on the hands is different from the skin on the face so you know you have to understand that otherwise you're not in my opinion, you're not a true professional because you don't understand the whole picture. You know, okay, maybe you can do beautiful nail art. Well, great, if you can do beautiful nail art, but you're putting that nail art on someone's body and you need to understand what you're putting it onto and any implications that has.
0: So invest in the training. And how about advice for anybody that's already working, perhaps, uh, in a nail salon um, and has got really good training, but would really, really love to make that that leap into working in uh, for editorial
1: and and advertising. Oh, now that's a hard one because when I started, I was the first one in the UK to actually do it as a full time career. There was nobody else that did it. Um, there were a couple of people that would get called to do sort of the odd shoot. Nobody on fashion shows. But that was, I mean, unheard of. So,
0: how did you get your your first um, your first editorial? Was that because you were um, head of education for CND or?
1: No, back then, this was 96, 97, that long ago, we had the professional nail industry had a trade association called the International Nail Association, um, which was, I mean, it was a tiny industry then. And it, we, we. I mean, as as an association, we were actually quite successful. Well, I happened to be, um, everybody, everybody on the, the committee was elected. And I happened to be, at that time, the elected president of that particular association, and the office of the association got a call from somebody saying that, "Oh, we need somebody to do nails on a shoot um, because we need to have the colour matching, and and they and they were going to pay. And at that time, um, the pay was quite good actually. And so, because the office sort of thought of me and said, "Oh, we've had this da da da," which I'm like yeah, why not? I can do nails. So, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I went along to this funny little studio uh, near, near Clerkenwell, and, um, and I did this shoot, which was actually a nail, uh, advertising job. The, sorry, a shoe advertising job. So there was no hair and makeup because it was just the legs and the hands. Anyway, I turned up at this studio and thought this looks really seedy. I'm not sure I really like this. Anyway, when I got in the studio, it was absolutely lovely. I had a lovely day mixing colours and putting long nails on and um, matching the colours to the shoes and and thought, oh, that was really really nice. Um, I like that they were nice people. Days long before the internet or Google. Anyway, it turned out that the photographer was Nick Knight, and the stylist was Lucinda. <laughs> I mean, like, oh my goodness, they were really nice people. But and I was like, oh gosh. And it, anyway, it was a very very short time later that I got another call uh, to do an editorial, which happened to be a cover of Vogue with Kate Moss. And that was oh, my my second shoot, um, and that's up here as well. It's that iconic picture of Kate Moss like this, and there's a little finger up there that goes that goes between the title, um, and there's one little finger, and that was my very first Vogue cover with the same with the same team actually, um, and it was with Kate Moss. And then I think let me guess, Pardon? But did Sharon it? Did Sharon Dowsett do the
0: makeup? you talking about the orange lip. Yes. It actually was Lady Danger, I think, that lip.
1: Well, that was my yeah. first boat cover. You know, I, it, it's very hard to climb, um, to climb, you know, to sort of climb, take your career and climb with your career. But you know what? I think sometimes it's even harder to start at the top like that and try and keep there <laughs> because, I you know, you're right. everything yeah. is like, oh, I've got to do as good as last time. I can't do what you know I've got to do it better and better and better so um yeah I mean I haven't I, I haven't done editorial for a long time but fortunately after all this time I sort of feel that I'm still there not now because I don't really do it so much anymore but um again yeah, then I think the one after that was a uh, was Bjork's homogenic album cover again with Nick Knight and Alexander McQueen and the number of people if if that pops up I never did know you did that and I was like yeah I actually did all that time ago and again that is just like incredible finding it out it's like I knew what I wanted to do I wanted her to have very very long nails and she's got tiny baby nails very long nails that sort of moved as she moved they moved a little bit like mercury just because of the dress and Lee McQueen was there Mm. and he designed the dress and this whole thing and she had contact lenses in and I thought, like, I want these nails to move, look like they're moving with the light. And I was like, how on earth do I do that? Anyway, I played around for a little bit and um, they did. They did, they looked like mercury that <laughs> moves. And she was, when she was on set, not being shot, she was waiting. Nick actually said to me, look, look at what she's doing. And she was on set and she was like playing with her nails like this. It was, oh my God, she likes that' It's so
0: beautiful. <laughs> if, you, if you do a great job, people ask you to, to come back again. Yeah. and that's that's the key isn't it but yeah. of course you were a pioneer in, in in your field and still today there are still only a handful of of, of people doing nails for shoots um so perhaps the the tip would be uh, um, to contact photographers or actually seek out people to work with to get your first shoot
1: yeah <clears throat> I mean I'm a big believer in agencies you know and and I've been with my agency which is streeters um, I've been with them for many many years like probably over 10 years i think i've been with them so i'm a big believer in agencies because it's a very hard job to negotiate fees and to go and to negotiate contracts and and i th- i think if people do want to get into this um i mean there's a lot more now obviously than, than there was then um, but yeah if they do want to get into this they've got to they've got to create well now it's digital it, you, i've still got my original portfolios um, that used to be biked around London on, on the back of a bike. Um, that I remember it, those days. Yeah, I mean, that everybody had exactly the same style of, of portfolio, which was a big thick leather cover with your name embossed on it. And that went inside a sort of um, a carry case with the name embossed on that. Exactly. And that was, that was how your work was was shown to people. and. You know that and, and and a bike was ordered and this portfolio was was biked off to whoever needed to see it obviously that's all gone i've still i've still got i've got the one that was that big when i first started and then the last one i had is about that big which i've still got obviously um, but now obviously it's all digital which makes life an awful lot yeah. easier so, um, I mean, I think it is to create your own digital portfolio and to show a wide range of what it is you can do. You can do beautiful natural nails. You could do beautiful painted nails. You could do toenails. You can do nail art. You can do long nails. You can do extreme, you know, the real like big statement things. One style doesn't work. You've got to have the range because you don't know what somebody will want you to do. You know, if it's if it's like food advertising, absolutely do food advertising, but they're not going to want a great big long nail with a load of nail on it. They're going to want beautiful natural nails. So is to create your own digital portfolio when you think that it's good enough is to um, is to contact some of the agencies. Because nearly every agency, hair and makeup agency that is, um, nearly all of them now have manicurists. And yes, we are still called manicurists. I never used to like that, but I'm way over that. I don't mind being called a manicurist. Okay. Um, they nearly all have manicurists now. So contact them, send them your digital portfolio and you know, see what happens. It is worth having an agent. There's there's sort of like a, a more professionalism about it. I know some people don't and you know they do okay. But there's a professionalism, and if an agent has taken you on, they're sort of endorsing your professionalism, um, and they, and they actually are worth their weight in gold, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, once once you start getting the work
1: coming in, then yeah. you need the agent. You do, yeah. and you need their advice, because you know, like they'll know if a job comes in. Might say, No, I don't really think you should do that one for whatever reason. You know, there could be a whole load of reasons, or, or this job is coming, you've got to get it, you know. So, they're very good at giving advice on what you should be doing. And you should, at the beginning of a career like that, you should be doing a lot of editorial. So, you're doing a lot, a lot of editorial to get the portfolio, yeah, exactly. Because the chances are you might be able to do something really interesting and you might be able to show your skills on an editorial whereas with a campaign you've got to do what you're told and that's it no mm. argument
0: very good advice and and my final question as we draw our wonderful interview to a close is what do you think is the future for nails what's changing what's going to be the big change if indeed there is one
1: um what you know i think there might be be a little bit of a resurgence for traditional nail polish. Because you know, we've had gel polish for over 10 years now, which is, I mean, it it reinvigorated the whole industry. Um, it really did so you know it changed everything but i think there is there might be you know people might be coming obviously the consumer they should only be using uh, nail polish i really strongly disagree with the uv gel polish kits that are available really the they bad for your nails yeah they are because um for many, many reasons that would take another whole interview to explain. Mm. Um, And that's not saying that the the consumer's hopeless. It's not saying that at all. It's just that they're not appropriate for use outside of being educated on the issues with them because they have issues. And Mm. basically, you know, that is the problem. It has caused a massive issue over the last few years. Um, But no, I think there might be a bit of a resurgence in in nail polish. and, And I think it's time, there are some amazing nail polish out there. Um, but I think like the, all the R&D people are really sort of looking into it to try and improve uh, their longevity and their drying time. Um, I mean, the colors, there are every color under the sun out there. But I think the quality might might be improving a bit. So I think that is a good, that is I think that, that might come. Um, there's not a huge amount new in the world uh, as far as nails are concerned. In the professional industry, nail art is massive, massive. I'm one of those that doesn't think that it relates to the consumer that well. It doesn't relate to the high street salon. And I hope the high street salons are gonna be back anytime now, because if we don't have salons in the high street, what are we gonna have? Estate agents or something. So I hope a lot of them are gonna be back very soon. Um, so nail art is fabulous, but there's there's a difference between professional that what the professionals do to promoting themselves and what actually does translate to the consumer. And I think health is is really important. The health of the nail, the health of the skin, how to grow nails. You know, if you're not if your nails aren't great, you know, it, it's a genetic thing. You, you've got the nails that you've yeah. got um, and then life pollution you know the things that you do with your nails can can destroy them so I think there should be I hope there's going to be a big push to towards getting nails back to be as healthy as they can possibly be um depending on your genetics you know if you've got thin hair you've got thin hair you can't suddenly make it thicker but you can use Mm. products to help and the same with with ridged nails like nails. nails there there is a solution and I'll tell you what that is outside of the interview okay then. <laughs> but don't buff them
0: don't buff them no no it's a weird problem but anyhow well,
1: and I've got now but I've got it because of an age thing you know you you very very often when you get to a certain age particularly you know post-menopause um, ridge nails is quite common and I've got shockingly Ridge nails, shocking. And I never yeah. did. I could grow my nails to any, I could still grow them to any length, but they need help. Whereas before they didn't need help. Um, but yeah, I've got shockingly Ridge nails. One that, you know, does even split all the way down the Ridge if I'm don't look after it. So,
0: yes. So you keep them oil, keep them healthy. Keep, don't yeah. wash up without yeah. your rubber gloves, all of that stuff.
1: Oil, 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 oil. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so, so much for for talking to me today. There's so much information there and I know we could have spoken all day and gone into such detail about about actually the technical applications and and the health of the nails. But I think that's going to be so useful to to everyone listening.
1: Thank you. And can I just mention really briefly, I was hoping it it was going to come in time, but Project Positivity, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard about Project Positivity. They are um, creating... I haven't. I haven't. Haven't you? Oh, well, look them no. up. They, they're actually nail people, but what they've done is they've they've started this project, which is printing T-shirts and five pounds of the sale for every T-shirt goes to the health and beauty charity. You know, um, the one that, is, that has been around for a long time, but has really been helping uh, people that are in dire straits over the whole COVID thing. And Caroline Hirons, she did that a whole event that was raising money for this charity. Anyway, Project Positivity, they're launching with three t-shirts and the, the three that they're launching with is myself, Millie Kendall and Sharmadine Reed. Quotations, <laughs> our quotations Brilliant. on a t-shirt. Five pounds of every sale goes to the hair and beauty charity, which I think Fantastic. is really ace actually. Where can we find them? Um, they're they're on Instagram called Project Positivity. Okay, that's the hashtag. Yeah, okay, the, 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 it's their the title, not the hashtag.
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Marion. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'll have a look Lovely at that. that get, you. get yourself a t-shirt. Lovely to yeah. talk to you too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Careers Insights podcast. Episodes are released bi-weekly onto Acast, Apple, Spotify, and the British Beauty Council Member Zone. You can also follow the British Beauty Council on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Clubhouse to stay updated with the latest news. Or, if you'd like to contact us and find out more about becoming a member or patron, please email joinme at britishbeautycouncil.com.